This is the Blue White Breakdown, the premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Bob Flounders and David Jones. Okay, guys, it's the Blue White Breakdown. I'm Bob Flounders. I have a special, special guest for this episode. Nathan Baird of Cleveland.com is joining us. Nathan covers those those nefarious Ohio State Buckeyes who always pull the rug out from under uh, the Penn State Nittany Lions during James Franklin's time in State College. Nathan uh, and his co-workers, uh, Stephen Means, all those guys uh, do a fantastic job uh, covering Andrew Gillis. I didn't want to leave him out. They all do a tremendous job. I've been on the site all week. Um, one of the re- Nathan... Welcome to the show. I it's it, I, I have to ask you this, um, and I think Penn State fans kind of know this. Has has the last has the last five or six weeks of the technically technically the off season has it been crazier than Ohio State's regular season, or has it been close? Oh, probably. Yeah, probably crazier than the regular season. It's just been a kind of a whirlwind of things and it's still going on. Like we're still waiting to find out is, you know, they hired Bill O'Brien last week, which I'm sure is something we're going to get into and uh, or a couple weeks ago, less than a month ago. And now we're waiting to find out if he's going to make it to Valentine's Day and whether they're going to have to go find another offensive coordinator or exactly what Ryan Day is going to do. And it, it just seems like it's been just one crazy thing on top of another, like a lot of big swings in the transfer portal. Uh, a lot of guys coming back that at the start of the year, we didn't expect to be coming back to Ohio state for four years or five in some cases. So yeah, it's been just a, ever since the cotton bowl, it's been just sort of a, well, actually you go back even before that when Kyle McCord leaves, like basically since that day, uh, it's been just a nonstop pile up of uh, since selection Sunday, kind of just a, a, a nonstop six week whirlwind and uh, be glad when it's over. And maybe we can catch a breath before spring football starts. Yeah. Penn, obviously Penn state fans. Well, this is th- we're taping this on Thursday uh, guys at two o'clock and we're going to, we're going to kind of pretty much stay clear of Bill O'Brien other than just to mention the fact that Penn state fans are obviously keeping close tabs on this as well. Beloved figure. Um, among the fan base for what he did for Penn State for two years, 2012 and 2013. Nathan, I hope my wish for you, Nathan, is this: whatever happens, uh, it gets cleared up by Super Bowl Sunday. So maybe you can take maybe uh, maybe a 24 hour respite and just kind of maybe enjoy the final uh, NFL game uh, of the 2023 season. But Nathan, you mentioned how busy it's been at Ohio State. We, we can certainly talk about Penn State too, but um, I, I do I do think um, the Penn State fans that are plugged in have to be following this and wondering, <clears throat> are we ever, ever going to close the gap uh, on, on this program? Because I know the big, I, mean, I know that the Big Ten has expanded, but you know, Penn State's going to play Ohio State again this year. Obviously it did not go very well at all last year, but the reason I wanted to talk to you is I just wanted to get your thoughts on, um, what kind of Ohio State's been able to do in terms of establishing their NIL program? Because I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like uh, the roots of everything that Ohio State's been able to do, um, whether it's keeping veterans from going to the NFL or continuing to recruit at such an, uh, an elite rate or to get 
you know, just fantastic talent in the transfer portal has its roots maybe in their NIL program. I don't want to say it's second to none. I don't have the details, but I know that there's been some numbers thrown around the last couple of years. But it, it sure seems like this is really enabled Ohio State to be very, very aggressive. So, yeah, and they haven't been especially aggressive since the start of NAL. They've been a little bit cautious. And frankly, it was a bit of a, a point of some tension, I think, within the athletic department uh, between the football coaches who were seeing some of the things that were going on nationally. They would lose guys going into signing day to places that were a little bit more upfront and were willing to promise money up front, whether or not you're supposed to do that or not. And my understanding with the Ohio State situation is that maybe that approach hasn't changed that much that they're still you know adhering to what has always been their philosophy to try to stay on the right side of the the rules there but that the machine that they always thought would would eventually emerge has started to do that and i think it's been twofold they they really had to you know educate the community about this for a long time you had people who were generous with the university but were always told you can't ever give anything to a student athlete you can let alone money like you can't give them you can barely give them a handshake let alone um give them anything of value and i think getting that group of people and the, the business community to come around on how much they could donate and what, what, where they could go with that money has been part of this um also part of this though has been a a a willingness um uh, you know i think ryan day took a more hands-on approach uh, from things I'm hearing to to get involved with the business community. And also, I think a crucial thing was they had two nonprofit entities that were their main collectives that, that started at the beginning. They, in the within the last year, added a it's technically you'd call it a for-profit entity. It's an LLC. It's more accurately just described as a not nonprofit entity because it's not guys who are out to make money. In fact, it's guys who are independently wealthy who have, have thrown some of their own money into this, but that it allows them access to a different kind of um, corporate deals and things like that. And it's just, it's, it's helping them supply more opportunities in the NIL sphere. So uh, the way that they've tried to structure it at Ohio state, believe me, I'm trying to look into this as much as I can, because I think there is a lot of uh, speculation out there. There's a lot of people who are just assuming these numbers get thrown around on social media. And I, what I do think is happening is what they've always wanted to have in place was a system that the players who were here make enough of an income that they then tell the players who they want to come in, like, Hey, here's what I get. Like, and, and when that becomes competitive or better than the other programs in the country, then that along with the Ohio state brand, the NFL development, all those things, that's how they are able to bring in some of those guys. I think some of this, I think some of the narrative out there that Ohio state's just like out buying guys is overstated. I, I don't believe that that's what's happening. I think it's in the case of both, the guys who decided to come back for another year, I mean, let's, let, you know, um, were guys who, if they were getting a first round grade, whatever they're getting from Ohio State and NIL, it wouldn't have made sense for them to stick around. It was mostly guys who were getting tweener grades. And because of the existence of NIL for everybody, it gives them more of a cushion to be able to come back and not have to give up any of that pro income that you would normally have gotten. We always, I think, thought across college football that that was going to be an impact, and I think you saw it 
in a big way at Ohio State in, in December and January. Yeah, and I think I think just to kind of piggyback on that, uh, Nathan, just just watching what's been happening, the guys that we're talking about, and we can we can go into it a little bit uh, in depth, but these are these are really 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 talented players. The problem is, is there's there's only 32 picks in in the first yeah. round, and there's 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 talented players everywhere, but by by getting them to come back, if they are just say you know if they were going to be top fifty picks or maybe top seventy five picks or even top one hundred picks, you know it also you know they're 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 getting you know they're getting comp- compensated, but also it also gives them an opportunity to improve for maybe for the next draft. And I think that I think that Ohio State really really gets that, and the fact that they've recruited so well, um, you know. I don't know. I don't know how far you want to go back to how far they've recruited, but it just, just, just you know, an elite, elite recruiting uh, program. Their, their, their second and third team guys are either either they're real young or they're about to be great or really good the next year. And I just think that because of their depth, I think this NIL program kind of really allows them to kind of keep their depth. I guess if that makes sense. Where Penn State fans are going to see this the most is this defense that was already one of the best in the country and is almost entirely intact from last year. They lose Mike Hall, who was a big guy up front. And frankly, uh, you know, he was a guy who had like some family things where leaving for the NFL now made the most sense to him. But you bring back four other guys up front who are basically starters on the defensive line. Uh, they lose the two linebackers who've been around. And that's maybe the question where the position where there's the most question mark right now, but the guys that they're looking at being there are former five-star prospects and, and they bring back both starting corners. They're going to bring back, a, they would have brought back, you know, two starting safeties and another big piece, uh, a depth piece behind him. And then they went and got Caleb Downs who might've been, one of the best five safeties in the country last year. And people think it's going to be maybe a first round NFL draft pick in 2026. Like that's there's, it's starting to become sort of an embarrassment of riches a little bit with this defense. Like they didn't need, they were already maybe going to be the best defense in the country next year. or One of them. And then all of a sudden he drops in. Uh, that's where it's like I said, things started to get a little bit ridiculous with what was going on there for a little while. And that was another case where Ohio state had, a prior relationship with him. They felt like they had been runner up to him and the timing just worked out such if Nick Saban doesn't retire, he's still at Alabama this year, but because he Nick Saban retires, there's a little uncertainty there. He takes a second look. It's what, you know, player empowerment has taken us to and Ohio state is just in the right position to, to pick him up. So where you're going to see this the most is this defense next year and, and how that has shifted here just in my time covering the team since 2019, where that 2019 defense was great too. But for most of the time, it's been this elite offense. And can you play good enough defense to give that offense the margin for error it needs to win? And now it's it's sort of flipping to where this defense is the one that's providing um, the is leading the way. And now the offense just has to be good enough to score, you know, three touchdowns or whatever, and, and they should be able to win. And, and the, the, t- the guys that are now getting kind of blocked off going into their third year because they have so much returning talent is the, the best indication of just how healthy this defense has gotten over the past four years. Nathan, just to, just to continue. So just real quick for Penn state fans who, so, so he, you kind of touched on it, but just, just on the defensive side, right? But, both both edge rushers who are mm-hmm. 
really, really good. I think yeah. Penn State fans know all about number 44, JT Tumalowau. Do I have that right? Is that right? Tumalowau, yeah. Tumalowau. I mean, he, he, has, he has been really, really, really good against, especially Penn State the last few years, a really, really good uh, interior defensive lineman, Tyleek Williams. Um, you know, th- those are – those are just uh, chess pieces on a board that a lot of teams really, really can't match. Denzel Burke, I didn't even mention him yet. Um, and, and you know, a running back like Trevion Henderson, um, Emeka Egbuka, who I know he had, he had a, a really bad ankle injury last year, but a lot of people thought if he played the whole season, probably going to be a first-round guy, but he, he just was un- unable to do that. And even a guard like Donovan Jackson, who was an all-Big all, uh, Ten, you know, first-team all-Big Ten Pick that's that's you know <laughs> if if a t- if an NFL team had that landed that just those players in their in their 2024 draft I think they probably would have got a B plus or an A just on those names alone that's that's how impressive the guys they've been able to to bring back for another season I think really are yeah and there was a little bit of a snowball effect here I think you know with Marvin Harrison Jr there was never any question like he can't. He couldn't stay. And the way he and the way Ryan Day, we talked to him on Wednesday, and he was even kind of bringing up in passing that that was not a slam dunk that Harrison would leave, even though on paper and financially it seems like one, because there was just this such dissatisfaction with how last season ended and because they saw the opportunity as a roster-wide to bring everybody back and like take one last shot at this. And once one guy started trending in that direction, it seems like the momentum really built. That if 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 you were someone like JT Tuimaloau and you had to make this decision in a vacuum, and you were the only one standing out there deciding whether you were going to come back or not, maybe the decision goes the other way. But when it's an entire roster, an entire signing class full of guys who feel like they haven't fulfilled their promise, can't haven't been able to beat Michigan, have only you know been in the playoffs once. In, in their three years, like they feel like they've they've got to um, come back and like make make good on that and and f- finish some business, not to pass along their cliches, but th- that's how everybody is talking about it. So I think that was also a factor here that you got a a kind of a an avalanche started going, and from having the individual conversations with a lot of these guys, though, whether through the bowl season or guys we talked to since like it, it was obvious too, that guys were making business trans or business decisions here too. You know, Denzel Burke that you mentioned, a guy who had a great season at, at cornerback and um, one of the you know better ones in the big 10 was, we were talking to him at the cotton bowl and he's like, well, you know, like if you're like the big difference between like being at the end of the first round and like, Early in the second round, then there's an even bigger difference if you can go in the top 10. And I think he saw that because of the NIL cushion you get, that coming back for another year, trying to achieve what you haven't been able to achieve, and then giving yourself maybe an even better situation in the NFL a year from now made sense. It just, the timing just happened to, to sync up in a, uh, in, a, in a very fortuitous way for Ohio State. How about it? I mean, I'm, I'm looking at, at the, the guys that really, I think, I think Ohio State will probably miss you. You touched on Michael Hall. I know Cade Stover, the tight end, great player. Tommy Eichenberg, I think you mentioned him. Mayan Williams is a good back, but I think they pretty much addressed that. I think they addressed that in the transfer portal uh, just a little bit. Um, your your thoughts on the transfer portal? You mentioned um, you mentioned I think Caleb Downs, but 
Um, they got a pretty darn good, I think, dual threat quarterback that maybe maybe the Big Ten, people who follow the Big Ten don't know about this guy, but I think college football, people who follow college football closely know who Will Howard is. And also the running back from Old Miss who Penn State fans saw in, in the uh, in the Peach Bowl, Quinshawn Judkins is a fantastic player. Just your thoughts on, on what they did in the portal. And, and it talk, you, you talked about what they're able to do in, ter- in terms of retaining uh, players that are really good. You look at this list of guys. Um, I mean, there can't be too many programs that did better in the in the transfer portal. There's some really elite talent that they've been able to add. Yeah, and Ohio State has, in in general, taken maybe a little bit more. I don't want to say cautious approach here, but they've been a little bit more conservative. They don't go in thinking they have to take a bunch of guys. It has to be uh, guys who fit positionally. There have even been times in the past where we thought they might need help at a position and they backed off of guys a little bit because they they wanted to trust the guys that they had coming in. And sometimes that didn't work, frankly. And they've, they've evolved a little bit and have become more aggressive in the portal. And some of these were huge needs. You know, the case of Will Howard, you come out of the Cotton Bowl. They went into the Cotton Bowl hoping that Devin Brown, who had been the backup and then took over when McCord left, um, could just kind of rise to the occasion and show them something. And maybe they would have had to bring someone in anyway. But when he gets hurt before the end of the first quarter and that whole thing falls apart, they really had no choice. They had to go try to get somebody. And Howard, of all the people who had been available, always kind of seemed like maybe the right fit for them. Um, the, the prototypical Ryan Day quarterback is usually a little bit bigger. But he also is, and, and, and Howard is huge. He's like 6'5", 224, something like that. But Day also, as he was telling us on Wednesday, they've made a conscious decision after seeing the effects. If you if you have a quarterback who doesn't have a lot of running ability, he'd better be C.J. Stroud, which is just like elite processing. And few guys, if anyone, are. We just saw what he did first year in the NFL. So if you're if you're not going to have C.J. Stroud, there needs to be more of a running element from your quarterback, and Howard definitely gives them that. Now he comes here saying he doesn't want to run that much, and I think that's why it's going to be a good match because he wants he's coming here because Ryan Day can maximize him as a passer for to make him a more uh, appealing NFL quarterback. But he comes in with at least the threat of being um, uh, having to be respected in the run game. That that alone is going to change how defenses have to line up against Ohio State. They needed to get offensive line help. They got Seth McLaughlin, who's been the starter for Alabama the last two years. Now, people who watch the playoff know that he had some snap issues last year. He says that Ohio State has a plan to fix that. Uh, We will see how that goes. They needed help in the backfield, too. They needed help in the backfield, too. They were going to be down to three scholarship guys, but I don't think they necessarily needed help to the Quinshawn Judkins level, but a guy who's been a, you know, a, run for about 2,500, 2,600 yards, I think, his first two years uh, and been one of the best running backs in the SEC. Uh, as you said, Penn State fans got an up-close look at him. But now you put him in the backfield with someone like Trevian Henderson, who was already also considered one of the best in the country. Uh, they had to kind of clear that with Henderson, I think, but because they, I think, suspected he was coming back. But once he was into it, now it seems like a situation where those guys can maybe help try to get the best out of each other. They both seem in in interested in this dual threat thing and uh, then we already mentioned Caleb Downs like adding him on top again just seemed like an embarrassment of riches for that defense but things are are from where they were coming out of the Cotton Bowl that was a really low moment I mean for people who didn't watch um, and if you watched it you probably enjoyed it as a Penn State fan Uh, tremendous defensive performance again um, especially considering who they were playing and, and what Missouri can do but an offense that just 
collapsed in on itself once Devin Brown got hurt. Offensive line problems. Lincoln Keenholz, the true freshman they threw in there, wasn't ready for that moment. Uh, it's just a mess. And that coming right after the Michigan game, which when you look in context, I mean, you lost by six points on the road to the national champion with the ball in your hands at the end of the game. Like that's not, I mean, you know, Ohio State fans hate it, but it's not a, a cratering moment by any chance. Like you, you were right there. It's just the playoff structure, the way in the way it is only four teams get to go. But to have that right after the Michigan loss, things were at a low point. Things were pretty somber. And ever since then, again, without this little hiccup of whatever's happening with Bill O'Brien, it's just been like home run after home run after home run. And you've sensed the enthusiasm around the program over those six months, six weeks, I should say, really kind of skyrocket again. And now they're back to where um, while there is a bit of a hot seat for Ryan Day to finally beat Michigan again and 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 get over that hump, this is also a team that's going in with as good a roster as anybody in college football. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any question about that. I I could not have been Nathan. I could not have been more impressed with Ohio State's defense when I saw them play Penn State uh, in late October at at the Shoe. I mean, I, every level and you know just very well coordinated. Um, so I, I I just think to to basically have all those guys back um, is is going to be something to behold. I, I can't imagine uh, I can't imagine a team that has more talent. Everyone's going to say Georgia, and maybe that's true. But uh, this this, seems, this strikes me as a very hungry team after what's happened the last three years, and uh, it's going to be I think fascinating to watch it come together. Not only if you're an Ohio State fan, but I think if you're if you follow the Big Ten or even if you're a Penn State fan, just watching to see what they're going to be able to do when when everything is when the dust settles. When they when they know who their play caller is going to be on the offensive side, when all these guys kind of get fitted in, this this uh, I think I wrote something. This has I, in my mind is the, the last team that Ohio State that was had that was this talented is probably Urban's 2015 team, which I know might even have been better than their national championship team. But this this to me, there's a lot of moving pieces, Nathan. But this to me looks like a really special group. And I was my my only other question I wanted to ask you about, and you already kind of addressed it, Buzz. The it, the hangover seemed so real after losing that game in Ann Arbor, Ann Arbor for Ohio State. I, I wouldn't say that was a a great quarterback that Ohio State had, but they still played a Michigan team off its feet on the road in a game. I think it was probably it might have you can make an argument it might have been the best game uh, of the college football season in terms of. Uh, the talent on both sides. And I, I think that they played them tougher than Alabama did. And I, I can imagine, I can imagine the air did probably go out of the balloon even before, um, even before that sugar bowl, but it sure sounds like what hap has happened in the last six weeks or so has really invigorated, not only everyone within inside the program, but, but a very, very large and very, very demanding fan base. It, it's, it does create a, a great conversation about, expectations and what's realistic and what's not. And, and cause you know, and the, everything that went on with Michigan and the allegations now plays into this a little bit because technically it is Ohio state's third straight loss to Michigan. And the first two uh, were less, were not as close as this. They were games where Ohio state in the second half really kind of fell apart, especially offensively the, the, the game at home in 2022, where they score three points in the second half, uh, 
and, and a lot of a lot was made of these explosive touchdowns they gave up. But to score three points in in the second half of a, a rivalry game like that was sort of a, a catastrophe in of itself. And they were fortunate to make it back into the playoff and almost absolve themselves by if they beat Georgia, they're probably the national champions in twenty twenty two, and they're one point short of that. And so then now you look at twenty twenty three, and if again if you take it just in a vacuum by itself, uh, I, I think that was. That might have been the best game Michigan played all year. Like, you can go back and look at it. There was, like, basically no flaw. Like, you can look at the Alabama game and, like, they're dropping punts and making other mistakes. And 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 even in the, the again, against Washington, there was some some stuff like that. They You have to give Michigan credit for playing a, just a perfect game and making Ohio State then have to play a perfect game. And you throw, like, the one interception early. You have, like, one thing that doesn't go right. You make one decision as to whether to go for something or kick a field goal, like th- then they get magnified and you just can't quite win that game. And uh, Ohio State is still the only program that would have made the playoff in a 12 team structure in every single year. So I, going forward, that isn't really the 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 problem anymore. They're going to be a, a perennial playoff team. And I think Penn State probably looks at themselves similarly, right? They're on the lower end of that, but they're always in the mix. And I think now, the it's about getting back to where people um, have that healthy fear of you. Probably if you're looking at it from Ohio state's perspective and that had probably started to wane a little bit, even with even in an 11 and one season, just because the quarterback play wasn't at that same elite level as before. And if they can get back to that, um, then I think that's where it'll feel like, you know, Ryan day has, has righted things again, because that's what he took over. That's what they were those first couple of years. And then it's been, it certainly, again, hasn't cratered out, but it's been just shaky enough for a couple of years that I think it's it's about um, kind of reestablishing that the, the confidence that this team uh, exhibits in those biggest moments. This is the Blue White Breakdown. Talking with Nathan Baird of Cleveland.com here on the Blue White Breakdown. Nathan covers those Ohio State Buckeyes that are 9-1. 9-1 against... Penn State during James Franklin's run. Nathan, if I could just ask you a couple questions um, that are more related maybe uh, to Penn State. Uh, but I think you, I think of anyone, I don't know who else I could ask that would have a better perspective on it. So I'm going to ask you, um, what do you think realistically uh, is the expectation or should the expectation be for Julian Fleming in state college, you you had a chance to see him up close. You know, Penn State fans are aware that he was a quote unquote five star. He played at a small school um, in Pennsylvania. Um, he, he did. Cho- he chose Ohio State. It's a loaded wideout room at Ohio State every year. Tough to see the field. Penn State is desperate for upgrades at the wideout position. But when you think of Julian Fleming and when you saw him play, um, what what did you see from him and what do you think his upside is if he's if if we haven't seen it yet? I think he's a tremendous football player um, in in an all around way and can help your team in a lot of ways help help a team in a lot of ways and we saw in twenty twenty two when CJ Stroud was still here the connection that they had you and I don't have those numbers in front of me but the production was was the best of his career and that was even still missing some games so the number one thing for Julian is health unfortunately like he just he's had bad luck there he's really fought through some things some shoulder things and things that go back to his high school days that they they finally got fixed with some procedures and this past year was the healthiest he's ever had 
But some other factors, I think, played into this. I don't think he and Kyle McCord ever really got on the same page. You saw his numbers definitely come down, but they came down for the whole offense, a passing offense, when you're when you're moving from Stroud down. And, and, and Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, takes up so much gravity in that passing attack that um, although he was there the year before when, when Fleming had that, and I just think Stroud was a better quarterback. Stroud could take advantage of that in a way that, that Kyle McCord probably couldn't, and I think that's true of, of most quarterbacks. So I think that there's definitely a room for him to have a year like he had. I mean, if, especially if he's going to be a more featured piece of the offense, then to be able to put up numbers like he did in 2022 is is probably on the table if he can stay healthy, if he can stay on the field. But he's also a guy who helps your offense in a lot of other in little important ways. He was definitely Ohio State's best blocking wide receiver, and that, that always sounds like a coach-speak thing that they like to throw out there. But we saw, and I think the Penn State game from 2022 is a fantastic example of this, that when Ohio State didn't block well on the perimeter, um, that it it showed up. And it was one of the reasons why Penn State was having some success in that game defensively. And that is a thing that can resonate with an offense. And when you've got guys like Penn State does in the backfield, who it wants to to feature at times, that's another guy that you can have on the field to help make that happen. So I'm uh, optimistic about what he can do. I hope that he has a, a strong year because just everything he's been through, I think he deserves it. And, and, and by everything he's been through, you know, <clears throat> again, he came in with, with such promise as the number one wide receiver prospect in the country and the five-star and all that thing. But, and that, that ends up clouding how fans look at these guys. And I always tell them, like they're not campaigning for those stars, right? Like they're not out like trying to to I I want I want to be that five star. I want I mean they're glad when they are. I think they like the recognition, but it's not something they're asking for. It's something that's imposed on them. And then when they don't live up to somebody else's expectation, it's seen as as a disappointment by them and not the evaluator for some reason. So I I'm I I think there is still good football in him. I think that especially and we saw how badly a Penn state needs some help on, on that side of the ball. So you're getting a guy who has proven that he can do it on the field. Cause again, go back and look at those 2022 numbers. They're very good. He's you're getting a guy who has experience in a upper level program that expects to win championships and didn't get there in a lot of cases, but, but knows, I think what it takes to compete in those kinds of games. He played in the, you know, he's been around the Rose Bowl in 2021 when they came back and beat Utah. He's been in that game against Georgia. He's been in Big Ten championship games. Like he knows that, and he can be a, a a big influence from a like a personality standpoint, an intangible standpoint in that receiver group, if helping to maybe raise the level of some other players. Uh, that is some great insight on Julian, because again, like I, I think you know, I only I've only had a chance to ke- watch him a couple of times when Penn State played Ohio State, and there were times he just wasn't on the field just because of the the wealth of wideout talent at Ohio State. It, it's kind of understandable. You 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 teed me up for my last question. I waited I waited to the end to ask it because I just I, I want, but I wanted to make sure I asked it because Nathan, when you when you think about the Ohio State Penn State game in October. The game that was uh, technically the final score was twenty to twelve, uh, Nathan. But to me, it, it, to me, it was not really ever that. I mean, it, it kind of it was, but it wasn't. Uh, Penn State's offense was never. I don't think after after they kicked a couple of field goals, I don't think Penn State's offense was ever going to do anything against that defense. 
um, until until the clock became Ohio State's friend. It was twenty to twelve. I thought I thought two. T- it was a two touchdown game, easy. But I was just uh, it was it was the first time Ohio State re- or Penn State really saw a good a good not a great defense away from Beaver Stadium. And I think Penn State fans are a little bit torn about what to think about this offense, Penn State's offense, in 2024. When you watch that game, um, you could say they're all they all kind of went together. But what stood out the most to you was it was it the young quarterback Drew Drew Aller not really being ready for the moment? Was it the coordinator and his plan against Ohio State, um, or was it Penn State's wideouts just being? I, I mean, I the the wideouts I thought really really struggled to gain any separation. I guess what was your what was your main takeaway? From that Penn State offense, as in terms of problematic, um, when when facing a good defense or a great defense away from Beaver Stadium, what 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 did you, what was maybe your one or two takeaways? Was it was it the quarterbacks got to get better? Was it the offense was just wasn't really well designed, or was it man they're just they just weren't ready at wideout? Well, I mean, part of it you have to give Ohio State credit for just being as good as they are defensively, as as you would Penn State. I mean, Ohio State only scored twenty points in that game. Uh, but where I think I I'm trying to remember now, like thinking back to that game, I don't know that I thought Atler wasn't ready for the moment. I do think that he it's a tough game for him, man. Like you're coming back home, you have all those expectations. Even if you're trying to just focus on the job at hand, it's a different game for you. And I think that is a tough situation, maybe especially for young quarterbacks sometime. And there's enough there on the foundation for him that I think there can still be positive things ahead for him. Um, but he's going to need some help. And I, the thing that I was struck by was just how he, nobody was open that whole game for Penn yeah. State. And I think you <laughs> saw a combination there. Because, I mean, think back to the 2022 Ohio State-Penn State game there in, in State College. Um, by the way, I love coming to State College for games, man. I want to give Ohio or Penn State fans credit. It's just a phenomenal experience for those of us. And I still haven't even been to a whiteout game because the 2020 night game was uh, COVID, so I couldn't wouldn't get the full experience. But even the day game there is is tremendous. So um, I'm bummed that there's going to be fewer of those trips in, in the future. But but think back to that game and how there was a great just push pull between these elite Ohio State receivers like Martin Harrison Jr. is going to be one of the top three picks in this draft probably. And, 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 um, Emeka Buka was a thousand yard receiver that year. And in Julian Fleming, like we already said, had his best year of his career, Kate Stover, the, the, the tight end, like, and how there was legitimately though, those guys had to fight to get a separation and, and yardage against the, that Joey Porter jr. And those other guys in that secondary. And, then you flip it now to 2023, and Ohio State is the one that has. I mean, Denzel Burke is going to be an NFL player. Davis and Nugbenosen, Lathan Ransom, Josh Proctor is about to get drafted. We think, um, uh, you know, Sonny Styles and J- Jordan Hancock sharing that nickel spot. Like you're just putting NFL guys, like probably day one or two NFL guys at every spot, almost in that secondary last year. And Penn State's countering with what? Like there was just no, and like it, that margin was going to really make it tough to run the ball then against the defense. It was already as strong as it was. And I I was always very curious, like why the running game wasn't getting going. Cause I didn't watch a lot of Penn state leading up to that. I was trying to watch here and there, but that game really opens your eyes to it. Like if, if you're taking away half of you, you're making yourself almost one dimensional already talent wise. 
And then you're putting that on the field against a secondary as good as Ohio State's. Now you've definitely become one-dimensional, and it's just hard to to get the whole offense going. So adding someone like Julian Fleming is definitely a step in the right direction for Penn State just to get some more capable receivers on the field to give Aller a chance and take the pressure off of the backfield. Yeah, um, you're, Nathan, you're right. I, I I do feel like the offense, especially in the Ohio State and Michigan games, just wasn't really coordinated uh, very well in the in those games, and uh, it certainly showed up. There wasn't there wasn't going to be there was going to be no margin for error uh, against defenses like that, and you had to you had to you had to make the most of opportunities. I don't think Penn State did in either game. They do have two good running backs. The offensive line was good at times, but I just thought I was just curious from your perspective because if you're a Penn State fan, you're either out on Aller or you believe in Aller. But there doesn't seem to be a lot of middle ground. I think most Penn State fans do realize the wideouts weren't good enough. But I think there was also there's there is a section of Penn State fans that do realize that maybe the offensive coordinator who you know coached at Ohio State briefly, Mike Yersich, didn't have his finest hour uh, against against the Buckeyes and definitely not against Michigan, which explained why James cut ties with him uh, the the following day. But I do, I do have hope for the new OC Andy Kotelnicki. I do think he is a guy that can, can add a little juice to this offense. I'm curious to see how Julian Fleming does as well. But I do think ultimately, ultimately, if you don't have a quarterback that could kind of make some plays down the stretch, or in, I guess in the case of Ohio State, you don't have a receiver like Marvin Harrison who could kind of take the game by the throat uh, down the stretch, which he did against Penn State, I thought. And he tried, he tried his darndest against Michigan on the road. And I think he was... He just missed on another big play late that he might have. He might. They might have actually. They could have won that game. You just need, you need your best offensive players or your most talented offensive players to show up in the fourth quarter. And uh, I don't know. I don't know that Penn State was ready for that in 2023. So it's a big year. It's a really big year. I think. I think for Penn State, they've never been to a playoff. It's great that they've expanded to 12 teams. But they've added they've added some legit Pac-12 talent uh, into the mix, along with what's going on, obviously, with Ohio State and even Michigan. You know, Michigan still has some talent coming back. I'll be curious to see what it's going to be like without Harbaugh. But I, I don't know. I, I, my feeling was that I don't know that Penn State was ever going to have a better chance to beat Ohio State than they did last year at the shoe. So I just don't know what to expect from them. But I do know. It's going to be really tough for anyone in the country, I think, to beat Ohio State if they're healthy this year. I'm excited to see how this comes together. And as, as we mentioned at the top, Nathan, talking about Billy O'Brien, I'm excited to see who's going to be playing, calling plays for them. And I think you are as well. Yeah, it's, it's supposed to not be Ryan Day. That has been one of the bigger developments of this offseason was that he finally got to a place where he saw that he needed to step back and pass off those duties and the full oversight of the offense to someone else and um, take on more of a, excuse me, more of like a, you know, a CEO kind of role. And I think that cost them last year, like that the special teams group needed more help last year, needed the kind of oversight that the head coach could give, but he was tied up with other things. Didn't give that special teams was a problem all year. And there were some game situations where I feel like as a head coach, if he doesn't, if he isn't thinking about play calling, and what play he has to call specifically, then he maybe looks at some situations differently or has maybe a 
um, a, a clearer process to look at some situations and, and maybe those go differently. So I think it was the right call. Those of us who kind of analyze the team have been calling for it for a while, right? Just the timing had to, to line up. And I think it said a lot that he went and got someone like Bill O'Brien, who has the head coach experience that he has, has the upper echelon offensive coordinator experience he has, quarterback experience that he has, to be the kind of person that he feels like he can trust to unconditionally to turn this over to. He's not going to turn it over to just anybody. So if it, if it ends up not being Bill O'Brien, is there someone else at that level that he can feels like he can find to do the same thing with? Or does he now then decide he has to hold on to it for another year and take another shot at it next year? I think Ohio State is better if he's not calling plays, not because he's not a good play caller, but because he needs to be all of the other things a head coach has to be. But to kind of wrap up your other conversation, I, I think for Ohio State, just went through this period partially because of Ryan Day's influence where it was the like gold standard quarterback wise in the big 10. Like there was nobody else who was developing quarterbacks the way Ohio state was. And I know they didn't until Stroud have real NFL success, but there was definitely a separation there. You can just go look like however many years they won the big 10 quarterback of the year. Well, now Michigan's already stolen some of that back with what JJ McCarthy has done. And you started to see this, this, surge of potentially some some like new quarterback talent happening in the Big Ten and Drew Aller being a part of that. And then now you expand. And I'm curious, like for Penn State, it really seems like to take that next step, like quarterback play, consistent upper level quarterback play has to be a part of that. And that was one thing when you were just trying to catch Ohio State and hold off Michigan. And now you're bringing in Lincoln Riley, you're bringing in well, you know, Washington, and now things have changed at Washington. I mean, Penix leaves, the coach leaves. So who knows if they can really sustain this. But Oregon, knows how to you know put quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, even Chip Kelly at UCLA usually stumbles into to guys. So like that degree of difficulty is is ramping up a little bit to to be able to say that your quarterback play is going to separate you from the rest of the Big Ten. I, it's going to be tough for Ohio State to maintain that standing, let alone the teams that have been trying to kind of catch up to them. Nathan Baird, Cleveland.com. You've been awesome. Thank you so much for I wanted I wanted to just get the Penn State fans kind of up to date on kind of what's been going because Ohio State's the team. You can you can bring all the teams you want in into the Big Ten. Really, in my mind, Ohio State is always the target, I think, for Penn State. I don't think that's ever gonna change. But I wanted to wish you my wish for you, uh, Nathan, for the weekend is to have Sunday completely off. You can you can kind of you kind of relax a little bit, recharge your batteries. It's been a kind of a, I know it's been a grind for you ever since the bowl season and, and it was a very hectic regular season for you. But thank you so much for coming on the Blue White Breakdown. Hopefully we'll be ch- we'll be chatting again sooner rather than later, but get some rest and I hope you get a chance to uh, enjoy Super Bowl Sunday. This has been the Blue White Breakdown brought to you by Penn Live.